Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Pandemicast with your normal co-host, myself, Timothy Abington, and fellow Burn reporter, Jonathan Scarborough. And we're joined tonight by Amik and Ellie. Pandemicast, brought to you by Red Brick and Burn FM. In the most recent news, the current death toll in the UK due to coronavirus currently stands at 1,019 deaths, tragically. The number of cases currently sits at 1,789 people, with Birmingham being the largest number outside of London as of yesterday, 366 cases in Birmingham. Meanwhile, last night, Boris Johnson and Matthew Hancock both said they tested positive for coronavirus and are now self-isolating whilst remaining in charge of the UK's response. Meanwhile, the English Chief Medical Officer, Chris Whitty, also said that he is self-isolating after showing symptoms. The UK is currently set for a death toll of 5.7 thousand people, according to Imperial College, though that figure has been revised down from the previous estimate of 20,000. In Birmingham, there are currently calls for an adjustment policy due to the exams and assessments which are still due to take place and we're turning first to an interview with the Guild's Education Officer-elect Jules Singh to explain what this petition is about. A petition that has gained a lot of traction in the last 24 hours is one for a no-detriment policy to be implemented by the University of Birmingham. This has already been put in place by the likes of Edinburgh, Southampton and Durham, amongst other UK universities. And the movement stems from students struggling to complete their final assignments, given the extraordinary circumstances this academic year they faced, firstly with the strike action and then COVID-19. Where the no detriment policy comes in is providing a safety net for all students to rest assured the minimum grade they will achieve this year is their current average grade. Therefore, so long as they submit their final assignments, they can rest assured their final grade will not drop significantly. The benefit of this is that it provides a safety net for all students and allows the opportunity for students to increase their grade and maintain some academic integrity. However, some may argue that their current average grade has already suffered as a result of the autumn term strike period or that the current climate makes it difficult to even write their final assignments. Thank you very much, Doris. That's very helpful. But we now turn to the topic of today's podcast, which is health. We're looking at the effects and the symptoms of coronavirus, as well as the implications this will have for the health sector, how the NHS is handling the crisis, and what it looks like going forward. Jono, could we perhaps begin with you explaining the scientific side of what actually a virus is? Well, I hope no medics are really listening, because my very simple explanation might be a bit bit too simplistic for their taste but essentially i think it comes down to firstly what is a virus so a virus itself is a small bundle of very best basic genetic material made up of what is known as rna which is very much like the dna which we have within our own cells except some may say a little bit more simplistic and there's quite a debate actually as to whether or not a virus is even a living thing because of how uh simple it is it's literally just a ball of lipids um so almost like fat and then rna encased inside but a virus essentially enters the cell of a host so the host being us human beings it enters your cells and then reprograms yourselves to produce more replications of the virus itself which then goes into other cells and reprograms them and so forth and so forth 
Now, viruses usually have an incubation period of about a week, although the coronavirus is thought to maybe have an incubation period of up to 14 days. And this really explains the large number of spikes in cases, especially in cities like New York, as we've seen in the States, has had almost 25,000, almost 30,000 cases now. So a virus can spread undetected, living on a surface. It's thought in the specific case of coronavirus for up to 72 hours. Now, that might not seem necessarily like a lot, but if you were, say, commuting on the New York subway to work in the morning and you had the virus, and if you didn't even know that you had it, were displaying no symptoms, if you, say, had touched your mouth and then were to touch a surface, the virus would not only leave your mouth, but would then survive on that surface for almost three days. So anyone commuting to and from work on that on that service who would then come into contact with that specific surface would be at risk from from catching it through facial contact with their hands and things like that. Now, luckily, the virus is not considered to be airborne, so you cannot, it's believed, catch it through breathing the same air as someone who has already had it. As I said, the primary way of catching it is by getting it on your hands and then touching your face, such as your eyes, mouth and nose. Now, of course, this is why hand sanitizer has proven to be so important because it's thought that facial contact with your hands is one of the primary ways through which people can catch it. And it's also worth highlighting that, of course, nobody in the world who hasn't already had it up to this point has very little immunity to it, which is why cases have also been varying from being very mild to, in case, some cases, very severe. Thanks, John. That's absolutely fascinating. Ellie, picking up on that last point, could you just explain if, heaven forbid, one of us did develop corona, if we did manage to catch corona, what would the symptoms be? What would the implications be for our physical health? Um, thanks, Tim and Jono. So as we're hearing from more and more people who have experienced coronavirus and doctors, um, there can be symptoms that haven't been officially noted, but that people have said that they've experienced, such as loss of taste and smell, tiredness and lethargy, aches and pains, sore throats, and diarrhea. Um, there can be many more, but not all of these have been confirmed. Um, the main symptoms to look out for if you did catch coronavirus would be a high temperature and a new contagious cough. Most people will only suffer mild symptoms with coronavirus. Research published from the House of Commons has told us that 88% of people that um, have coronavirus will experience a fever, two-thirds will experience a dry cough, and 38% will experience fatigue. Um, the World Health Organization says about 80% of people with COVID-19 recover without needing any specialist treatment. However, people that do become seriously ill will develop difficulty breathing, and this can be because of pneumonia. If someone develops pneumonia because of COVID-19, um, the likely treatment that they will receive will be that they will be put on a ventilator to maintain high oxygen levels until their lungs are able to function in a normal way again as they recover. So it seems like in the UK at the very least people's symptoms and the severity that they that the symptoms develop appear to vary between person to person. Now as we mentioned in the introduction Boris Johnson for example is developing and is displaying only very mild symptoms so this high temperature the dry cough as well and he tends to carry on working as normal albeit in self-isolation and yet at the same time we're seeing lots of people who are developing really really quite severe symptoms and they're having to go into these intensive care units 
Ellie, is there any sort of link there into whether or not you will develop pneumonia, whether the, the virus will attack you in a more aggressive way, or is it purely random, or do we not know yet? Is it still pure speculation? Um, yeah, I think it really does depend on an individual basis. Um, it remains the case that overall, older people are the most at risk of this virus becoming more serious for them. However, there are and will unfortunately be younger people who suffer severely with the illness as well. We saw in the media this week that um, Chloe Middleton, a 21-year-old with no known underlying health conditions, unfortunately passed away because of coronavirus. Um, so while it is more likely that older people will develop more serious versions of the virus and need more intensive care, it can happen to anybody. So currently the statistics in the UK as it stands as of 9am this morning when we're recording, we expect these to update during the evening. The highest region outside of London, according to Public Health England, is in fact Birmingham, the Birmingham Local Authority, where there are 366 cases. Now these are currently located in the various hospitals. So we have the QE, of course, well known as being next to the university and working in conjunction with the university and the Ministry of Defence and the like, as well as several hospitals dotted around the city. Perhaps more positive news though is that in the UK, 135 patients have since recovered, though it's worth noting this is a tiny minority compared to the severity of the cases in the UK as a whole. Elliot, is there a chance that you can generally recover? And then after that, what's the likelihood of you catching it a second time, for example? Is it fairly low or are indeed are we just looking at wave after wave of pandemic outbreak here? Um, well, generally, the thought is that once you catch the virus, you won't be able to catch it again because you'll have immunity to the virus due to your body having produced antibodies to fight against it. However, this isn't a proven fact yet, as we don't know how this specific virus works. But it is likely that someone who has had coronavirus will have some sort of immunity to it for a certain period of time. Thanks very much for that. That's clarified a lot of a lot of speculation, in my opinion, there. If we move now beyond the uh, physical effects, and of course the UK is currently in lockdown as we speak, the majority of us, unless they are a key or an essential worker, are currently staying at home in some form of isolation, be that by themselves, with family and relatives and so on. And yet, I feel this will probably take quite a severe mental toll, not only the isolation itself, but being separated from your work, your family and so on. Amik, what are the implications going to be for people's mental well-being? Um, well, I think that coronavirus is definitely affecting people because, well, as you said, that some workers are essential workers and some are not. So um, we are questioning our necessities, everything we are doing, and especially with what is essential and what is not. Like, turns out we spend most of our lives doing non-essential things, as per the categorizations which are being thrown around. So um, I think it's like really bothering that these supposed whims make up our entire life. Um, and socialising is out of question, and that's like elevating the anxiety levels. Um, I also think that anxiety-related disorders are having like both positive and negative effects. Uh, it like kind of depends exactly on which 
disorder or which issue or which complication you might have. I've like also noted that how we are trying to like um, use social media as a platform to like communicate and face this but I think it's the first time my generation is realizing like how incapable and inadequate the virtual world can be. Tanya Byron for example said that Britain's population is struggling with mental well-being that's a fairly well-known fact at the moment particularly amongst younger generations and that maybe around one in six people will have experienced a common mental health problem in the past week alone. That's because according to Professor Byron prolonged social isolation will predictably it worsens pre-existing mental conditions it can create new ones it develops this sense of isolation uh, indeed amongst the sporting community for example we discussed yesterday how athletes can they'll be quite pent up they won't be able to get out and we were saying off air actually about the lack of the lack of being able to get out for exercise the lack of training the lack of routine and regimented structure that so many so many of us are used to uh, the lack of that really puts us in a bit of an odd situation and yet we've talked on this podcast before about how it's encouraging us to reach out to people we probably wouldn't and how we're regularly facetiming house partying skyping friends relatives that we haven't spoken to in weeks or months so it really is a bit of a mixed bag and i guess only time will tell what we do know what is fairly clear though is that there's no doubt having a profound impact on people's mental well-being people's mental health for both better and for worse now Having discussed both the mental effects, the mental health effects, the physical health effects as well, perhaps we could look forward and look forward to what the current plans or what the predictions will be for potentially seeing a way out of this crisis in terms of the health implications there. Yesterday, the government promised and announced a further £210 million to the International Coalition, which is designed to create uh, vaccines and solutions for international pandemics and that's the uh, coalition for epidemic preparedness innovations which was founded just after the ebola crisis and it's supporting eight groups including one based at the university of oxford who are currently looking at covid19 vaccines birmingham nec is set to be one of the new field hospitals military style hospitals the likes of which we last saw during the spanish flu outbreak and indeed this first and second world wars uh, in the NEC, it's set to hold 2,000 beds, another planned in Manchester's Central Convention Complex, around 1,000. The most famous, of course, being the NHS Nightingale Hospital at the Excel Centre in East London. will plan to be open next week with initial capacity of 500 patients, but by the end is expected to host 4,000 beds. Others include, other sites confirmed include that in Glasgow, the SEC and so on. These are supposedly meant to be run by the NHS, though military medics, engineers and uh, military Logistics Corps will serve and help create these centres and help uh, maintain them whilst they're operating. Do we think these measures are too extreme? Um, I don't think they're extreme at all. I heard you were talking earlier about development internationally for a virus or really, you know, this drive for a cure, essentially. But mm. I think it's important to realise that we can't rely on that immediately in the immediate future because testing and um, routine tests for vaccines usually can take a period of years because they usually go through several stages uh, laboratory testing then testing on animals then testing on human um, participants in schemes and then finally being rolled out um, across health, health services if they 
are deemed to be safe for civilian use. But of course, even though the, the vaccine has been being developed at an incredible speed so far, there's still many months to go before a vaccine will be ready and will have passed the human trials and will be ready to be rolled out across the NHS. I don't know what you feel, Ellie, but it's certainly in my mind, seeing all of this, all of these hospitals being created, seeing these uh, these morgues as well in quite, I don't want to bring the tone down too much, but the uh, set to be a morgue just on the outskirts of Birmingham Airport that could house as many as 12,000 bodies. Uh, that's a temporary site, and the idea being it could cope with well, the city's death toll were it to come to that. Um, it's starting to make crisis, well, feel very much like a crisis. It's starting to make it feel a lot more real, perhaps. Yeah, um, I think especially in this last week since Monday night when Boris Johnson announced the lockdown, it has seemed to become a lot more real to people. I think the building of these new hospitals and morgues, people with the virus will be able to get treated um, as best as they can. And obviously mm. it would be nice for people to know that um, the NHS has as many hospital beds as they can available should it come to um, really high figures of people needing them. Um, well, indeed, a return to that res research that we mentioned at the beginning uh, the UK is set to have 5.7 thousand fatalities. It does seem as though the government really is looking at the scientific advice and preparing for the worst scenario. And now, indeed, that figure has been revised down. Originally, it was set to be something, well, we've seen figures as high as 200,000. Uh, that was later dropped down to 20,000. By the UK preparing these huge field hospitals, by it very much sort of militarising the situation, turning into putting us on a war footing which we discussed earlier in the week it appears as though the UK is making sure that it is prepared for any situation and perhaps will be in a good position going forward I don't want to sound too optimistic here but it seems as though the state is prepared and ready and could well at least cope with it if not overcome the situation were say a vaccine or were some research to be discovered that could offer a way out. It's sort of deemed to be the most positive or rather the most likely solution is a vaccine or some form of research along those lines. I'm sure many of us here did the round of applause uh, a couple of nights ago, the eight o'clock round of applause to celebrate our carers, those in the NHS as well. Do we think that really the UK is now starting to fully appreciate the health service, perhaps on a scale that it didn't do before really? Yeah, um, I think it really is. And I joined in with the round of applause um, at 8pm the other night, as did my family members. And it was really nice to hear applause and cheers and just lots of noise from all down our street appreciating the NHS. Um, obviously, working on the front line, they are really at risk. And um, I know everyone is eternally grateful to them. So... I'm right now in Newport and my grandfather, he's 73 and he works for NHS. So even now he's like going on because they clearly need help. And like we were saying about the funding, it's particularly important in like such times because people who shouldn't be risking their lives are. And I don't think that it can be taken so lightly. 
as it is might be and like even if funding is taken away for the NHS we must keep in mind that in times like these it wasn't totally what we expected it would be we don't have as many doctors as we need we can't abuse our health system like till it falls apart again I don't want to get too political here or get too abstract which I know there's a tendency we can have a tendency to do but perhaps sort of thinking into the minds of politicians here now the NHS is seen to be this very much this frontline service now it's been betrayed in these heroic these war terms maybe conservative MPs Labour MPs across parties might start to sit up and picture the NHS in perhaps a different way so they're no longer seeing it as a service for the vulnerable for the most elderly but instead seeing it as a service that is vital to not only the UK's health but the UK's security its international standing as well yeah I'd certainly hope so Um, as you've said we've seen MPs from all different parties coming together um, to kind of push through bills push through funding um, in this crisis and I think it certainly does need to carry on after the coronavirus because if anything this has shown that you know anything can happen and these frontline occupations are essential to the running of the country so especially the NHS um, which is looking after all different people during this crisis. It seems as though after this it could cope with any eventuality. Uh, We're going to bring the podcast to a close for this evening. Thank you very much. In the meantime, this is Pandemic Ask, brought to you by Burn FM and Rebrick. Bye, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Make sure you stay safe. Goodbye, everyone. I hope you stay sane. And it's a goodbye from me as well. So thank you very much for listening to Pandemic Ask and stay safe out there. Good evening, everybody.